Coming up on this week's edition of Please Bear With Me, looking back at Rice, looking ahead to a gold out against Iowa State, and Shahan Jayaraja of Dave Campbell's Texas Football joins us. This is Please Bear With Me. Hey everybody, welcome into this week's edition of Please Bear With Me. I'm Scotty Swingler, so thankful that you could join us this week as we get ready for the start of Big 12 play at McLean Stadium this Saturday. I could not be more fired up and excited to play against Iowa State this coming weekend, especially after the brawl last year. Brawl sounds so much more intense than a fight or a scuffle. We're going to call it a brawl. That's a very kind word for it, considering it's mostly a slap to the helmet. That's okay. I'm (laughs) calling it a brawl. My producer, Martin Thomas, is who you hear on the other microphone here, recording this in Houston, Texas. Speaking of Houston, Texas, I want to spend just a couple of minutes looking back at this game against Rice, which took place here in Houston. I want to look ahead to the matchup against Iowa State and why I think Baylor's going to come away with a victory. And we're going to talk to Shahan Jayaraja of Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Shahan's a friend of the show, been on three or four times in the past, and just excellent insights. He's he's a college football insider, is what he told me. That's his title. It's a very great title. I don't even know what that means. Like, Adam Schefter is ESPN's NFL insider, and it means he gets all the scoops. And I wonder who Shahan's, like scoops people are like is he getting these breaking news scoops is he pulling a woge for texas college football i don't know you probably should have asked him that in the interview i should have but i didn't all right so let's look back at this game against rice listen it was not pretty at least if you just watched the game like i did sitting in the stands there at rice stadium it was not pretty baylor didn't put up any points in the second half. I think a 21-13 final is a little too close for comfort for most Baylor fans. And I think most of that is because of how easily Baylor was able to win those first two games against SFA and UTSA. To see Baylor have a harder time against Rice was definitely concerning. But if you look at the statistics, and I won't get into all of them now, there's a lot of, I think... Uh, Sikkim365 did a really good breakdown of this. If you look at the statistics, Baylor's offense in particular played a lot better than the results would show. Baylor's defense played outstanding, and I think even if you were just watching the game at a casual level, you could see the defense making big play after big play, stop after stop. The offense, it felt like, You know, there were just some unfortunate moments like Brewer throwing up his arm and getting ready to sling the ball and just dropping the football and and losing it on a fumble. Those kind of mistakes happen, and it's never fun. But, you know, to come out of that game with a win despite losing the turnover battle, despite playing a a 
poor game in comparison to the others. I think you got to be happy with the victory. I know I said last week that I really expected Baylor to go in and get another 40-50 point win, and that's what we needed to see. This game has shaken my confidence in the very, very slightest going into conference play, but not severely. I still think this is a good football team. I still think this is an eight or a nine win football team. And this is the best Baylor has played coming off of a bye week in the Matt Rule era. And that's kind of funny to say, especially when you know how seriously Matt Rule takes practice. It's it's odd, but this is the first victory that Baylor has had under Matt Rule coming off of a bye week. And I don't know why that is. And it's curious to me that even though this was a victory, it was still a sluggish, unimpressive victory for Baylor. And definitely that's something that I know Coach Rule and his staff want to improve on going forward, both this season and in the future. How do you use bye weeks? You would hope that a team comes off a bye week and plays one of their best games of the season with the extra rest, the extra time to prepare. I know Coach Rule speculated in his interview earlier this week with David Smoke on ESPN Central Texas that, you know, it could be that the players were already looking ahead to Iowa State, especially with the university promoting a gold out. And, you know, after the antics last year, the brawl, as I said (laughs) a little bit ago, maybe the players are looking ahead and, and didn't take this game seriously. I don't know. Um, But, you know, a win's a win. The numbers say that Baylor played a lot better than the actual, what it looked like they played. And there were some big plays when we needed them. Charlie Brewer made some of the best throws he's made all season. He also had his best game rushing by far so far this season and really started to come alive in this game, made some very big throws. The one down the sideline to Tyquan Thornton, I, I can't get out of my head. It was maybe the best throw I've seen Charlie make in terms of placement. Had a couple of nice throws to Mims on a slant route and then on that corner route right there on the sideline in the first half. So, again, I understand why fans and why you listening might feel some discontent with that performance. But going on the road is never easy. As we said last week, when you get out of rhythm and go on the road for the first time and you have to sleep in a different bed and you have to warm up in a different place and the locker room's not nearly as nice, you know, it throws you off a little bit. And so I am hoping that what we saw was Baylor getting out some of those road jitters, getting out some of those dirty habits of looking ahead to the next game. And Charlie Brewer and Matt Rule both said after the game that they were frustrated, but that this game was ultimately going to help the team, you know, not make those mistakes again. You know, you can't go on the road against Kansas State here in two Saturdays and look ahead to the next week or you're going to get beat. I know TCU just lost SMU. I know TCU is down this year. You can't go on the road to Fort Worth expecting to just breeze through a win and look ahead to the next week or you're going to get beat. I don't even think you can go on the road to Lawrence, Kansas this year with that mindset and win. With less miles at the helm at Kansas. And if you remember, during RG3's 10-win Heisman season, we just barely squeaked out a win in Lawrence, Kansas. Almost blew that game. We were almost that team. TCU almost had on their Twitter profiles, Baylor lost to Kansas. It almost happened. So, you know, hopefully this game is a big stepping stone and a learning block. And, you know, maybe it was good for the Bears 
to experience a little bit of adversity before Iowa State comes into the building on Saturday. Speaking of Iowa State, Matt Campbell's team appears to be down a little bit, especially compared to the past couple of seasons. I said it, you know, preseason that I thought losing David Montgomery and Akeem Butler would affect the Cyclones. You know, those are two NFL playmakers now, two guys who are just beyond talented, David Montgomery especially. And yeah, you're going to take a step back when you lose players like that. Now, Brock Purdy, the quarterback, has come back and looked better. You know, I think he's always been a guy that could run and move around in the pocket, scramble out of trouble, and make some big throws. But this year, what you're seeing is a Brock Purdy who's a lot more decisive with the football. He's a lot more accurate. I just think there's a wider variety of what Brock Purdy could do. And I don't think it's any question that he is one of the top five quarterbacks in the conference and he's probably sitting at three or four depending on where you rank like Brewer and Bowman when healthy and Sanders at Oklahoma State you know Brock Purdy clearly one of the best quarterbacks in the conference one of the best quarterbacks in the country and has the same sort of tenacity and toughness that a guy like Charlie Brewer has where he almost just refuses to lose their performance against Iowa was clearly disappointing. And there were clearly some gaffes in that game that left everybody scratching their heads. But I don't think we can overlook Iowa State. And I know I predicted preseason that this would be a game we would win. It's probably even more so that way after we've seen Iowa State not be as impressive as we anticipated them being. But that loss against Iowa pissed them off. I mean, they had a huge win this past Saturday against UL Monroe and we expected them to win that game big but they scored 72 I mean they came out angry and they're going to come into McLean fired up and so Baylor's got to come out with the same mentality got to come out with the fighters mentality it's going to be a four-round game you know it's going to be beginning to the end who makes the most plays I think both teams have the potential to make big plays, and I think both teams in this game have the potential to give up big plays. So which team is going to take advantage? What we might see on Saturday is that the team that wins the turnover battle gets the victory. I don't think Baylor can lose another turnover battle and win, especially against Iowa State. I think both teams are emphasizing the need to force more turnovers. So that's how I see that going. I think... I think it's going to be a low-scoring game, especially after how Iowa-Iowa State went. I think both defenses have played relatively well, and both offenses have shown the capability to make big plays, but have struggled in moments, especially in the run game. And so, man, I've got Baylor like 27-24. I think it's going to be a close one. I think the home crowd is going to come in huge. Speaking of which, Martin, did you hear Matt Rule say earlier this week that the team is going to wear green even though it's a gold out i did not hear that it seems like a curious choice though i don't love it and he used penn state as an example you know we would do whiteouts and wear blue but like penn state it's my understanding kind of created the whiteout concept and so they can kind of do whatever they want baylor has always when we've done i mean the most obvious one being the blackouts and we wore all black. It's curious to me. And I want to see those gold uniforms. Well, and in the uh, the Twitter photo that Baylor put out for the gold out, 
it was gold uniforms. Yeah, and Matt obviously Matt Rule doesn't give a rip about that. I'm, I well, and he said something funny. You know, he when he was talking to Smoke, he said, you know, we're gonna, you know, we're not gonna wear gold. We're gonna wear green. We're gonna do the same thing we always do. He almost acts like gold would be too showboaty, and that's confusing to me because we took away the gray and the black uniforms, and we only have green, white, and gold. Jerseys. I don't understand why gold would be any more flashy than wearing white or green. Maybe I'm stupid. I mean, Matt Rule's smarter than me. Speaking of that, if you haven't listened to the Blake Blackmar interview I posted last week, you need to do it. Seriously, I that's the best thing I've done for this podcast yet. And I'm not saying that out of like pride, because honestly, I didn't do anything. Like Blake just gave me great content and the feedback I'm getting is awesome. Uh, you know, messages from David Smoke. It's It was a great experience getting to hear those stories from Blake and then to edit them down and post them. He revealed a lot about Rule as a coach, about Rule as a person, especially in contrast to some of the practices that the previous coaching regime had. And I, I just thought it was really insightful. If you're at all interested, that Blake Blackmar interview is posted as a bonus episode for Please Bear With Me. And it's awesome. And if you haven't listened to it, you need to. Turn this one off right now. Go listen to Blake, and then you can come back to this episode. So a bit of personal news. I got engaged this past week. And for those of you, especially my dudes who've been through that, what a whirlwind. I mean, about noon, my stomach dropped, and I felt like I was going down the slope of a roller coaster from about noon to 7. And then around 7 is when this this actually happened. But anyway, I, I proposed to my girlfriend, Ambry. She's now my fiancé. That's freaking crazy, and I'm just... Thank you for those of you who said kind words. But I did want to mention today on the podcast that... There's a listener of this podcast, a faithful listener and a friend named Zach Elkins. And Zach is a AV guy at a church in Waco. And so, you know, he's just this tremendous person. But he is a filmmaker on the side. And he videoed the entire engagement and captured it in a way that I don't know that anybody else in Waco could have. And we're going to post, as soon as Zach finishes the final draft of that video and sends it to me, I will post it on Please Bear With Me's Twitter. And I know I, I, I'm not trying to throw my personal life at you, okay? I know this is a Baylor football podcast. But I did want to encourage you, if you are in Waco or close enough to Waco that you'd feel comfortable paying for Zach to drive, if you need something videoed or captured, whether it's wedding, engagement, if it's just a family outing, if it's an event, a concert that you're performing or your your kid is, you know, performing in a recital, I don't know. If if you want to capture a memory or a moment that is significant, I would encourage you to check out Zach. His website is just zachelkins.com. That's Z A C H E L K I N S dot com. And let him know that please bear with me, Cynthia. He cut me a tremendous deal 
on this engagement video and did an outstanding job. And so, you know, just wanted to give him a quick shout out and say, you know, if you are in Waco or near Waco and looking for a videographer, filmmaker, somebody to capture that moment for you, give my friend Zach a holler. Let's look back at this game against Rice because a lot of Baylor fans are uncomfortable after what we saw against Rice as opposed to what we saw against the previous two teams we played. You're somebody who actually doesn't just cover the bigger schools, but you cover Rice and SFA and UTSA and all of that. So contextualize the Rice game for us uh, from your perspective in you know some of Baylor's struggles there and how should we be feeling after that game? Well, I think that Rice at its core wants to be a team that makes you uncomfortable. It kind of is almost like Kansas State in that way where they want to hold on to the ball. They want to cause a lot of turnovers. They want to kind of grind things out. And if you look at some of the like uh, the expected win probabilities and stuff like that, uh, Baylor had total control of that game. I mean, it was never truly in doubt. Um, I think that Bill Connolly's numbers gave them like a 99% chance to win based on win probability. So... I mean, it wasn't necessarily that it was a bad showing. Again, though, going into conference play, you want to see more. You want to see, you know, more efficient defense. You want to see them get the team off the field. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's like in the second half, Baylor had four possessions, four drives. I mean, how are you supposed to get into much of an offensive rhythm when that's the case? And granted, I mean, you want to see some better play calling at times. You want to see some, you know, more variation and stuff like that. But these are the kinks that you work out in the non-conference slate. So uh, I know that obviously Rice isn't necessarily a team that's going to win eight, ten games this year. They're going to be a team that's struggling to win three or four. But uh, their MO is to try to make things uncomfortable. And I think they've really found a good way to do that. So heading into conference play, I wouldn't necessarily worry too, too much about it because this isn't like any other team that you're going to face uh, once you get into Big 12 play. Tell my listeners what your projection for Baylor was preseason, and has it changed at all after we've gotten through non-conference? Well, I'll start by saying no, it hasn't really changed at all. Uh, I kind of saw Baylor as a team that could win eight or nine games, mostly just because of the way that the schedule works out. I mean, I think they'll be a lot better, too. And I think what we saw against uh, UTSA, for example, was very encouraging for where they are right now. But uh, I mean, I, I see eight or nine wins because I think that you look at that schedule, you get so many of the biggest games at home. You know, if you can win just one of uh, Iowa State, Oklahoma, Texas, you're in a great spot to, to maybe win eight or nine games. Uh, and I think that they will be able to do that. And I think, you know, Iowa State's looked fine I'd say since uh since the season started but they haven't looked elite by any means uh and so if you're able to pick up one of those wins if you're able to take care of business against you know the two Kansas schools which Kansas State looks a little bit harder now that's that's maybe the one where you maybe think things may be changed but on the other end maybe TCU's a little worse than we thought they were so I think that there's a lot of opportunities there to pick up some wins to, to win some big games and ultimately I do think that eight or nine wins is definitely on the table and if Baylor can find a way to improve in some areas, there's no reason that they can't eventually be competing for the title. Now, at the same time, I mean, that's a tough ask, and the Big 12 is tougher than I think that we thought it was going to be when the season started. Um, but eight or nine wins, I mean, some real steady progress. I think that that's really what you should expect from Baylor heading into conference play. You kind of hit the nail on the head with Iowa State. I've always liked that program for the past three, four years, seen them as a dark horse to win the conference. 
they've struggled their first three games, relatively speaking, as well. So what do you expect to see Saturday from both squads? Well, I think that Iowa State right now is struggling to run the ball. Um, you know, just because they lost David Montgomery, and I don't think people realize necessarily how many tackles that guy was breaking last year, you know, and now he's gone. It's just, you don't necessarily know whether you're going to get a consistent run game from them. But on the flip side, Brock Purdy still looks just as good. And that defense is fierce. Uh, So I think that for Baylor, I mean, they have to find a way to take Brock Purdy out of the pass game. I mean, that's the one nice thing is that they're a little bit more one dimensional. And that's something that Iowa was able to take advantage of on defense when they picked up a win over them. Um, but the other thing, too, is that Baylor's got to find a way to diversify their run game, too, because on Saturday against Rice, you did see that they were not super efficient running the ball with their running backs, especially. And they have talent there. I mean, I really like what I've seen from Tress Nebner, especially. Uh, and then when you use Charlie Brewer in the run game, which I think we will see a little bit of on Saturday, I think that they're effective doing it. But those are the kind of things that you have to do because same deal. If Charlie Brewer is sitting out there having to pick apart that defense, they're a team that can get pressure with three or four and put a bunch of guys back into coverage. That's what they do. That's what they're known for. And so I think that if Baylor can't run the ball against that three and four man front, I, I think it's going to be tough for them. Now, I do think that they'll be able to. I think that uh, I do think that Baylor's going to be able to generate some offense and win some one-on-one battles with receivers and, and Charlie Brewer is going to have a good game. But You have to be able to take away something from them on the other end, and you have to be able to be balanced on the other side. How big of a factor is having this game at home? Oh, I think it's huge. I mean, I think... I think Baylor typically has been a lot better at home than they have on the road, which is just, I mean, that's that's football. I mean, most of these teams in college are better at home than on the road. Uh, but I think especially with this team, because Iowa State on offense is still pretty young. You know, after losing Hakeem Butler and David Montgomery, they're playing a lot of young pieces out there. Uh, and Baylor's a little bit more experienced at this point. But on defense is where you maybe hope that being at home especially can build some momentum, uh, get some guys ready, get some guys amped for the game, and just... I mean, again, guys are just more comfortable when they're going through the rhythm at home than on the road. And I think that I think it's going to have a big impact just because I think that Iowa State is also a fairly young team. And and you hope that maybe you can take advantage of a couple of those matchups when you've got the young guys on young guys uh, when you're playing at home, because I do think that especially young guys tend to play better at home than on the road. And then if if you look forward and I don't mean to just jump way far ahead of Iowa State, if, if you look forward where do we really see Baylor's biggest test as far as like this is who we know who Baylor is right is it Kansas State in Manhattan is that when we when we know is it do we have to wait till Texas Tech comes into McLean well they lost Alan Bowman so is it you know I there's there's a tendency and it's like you were saying when you look at the schedule and the way it plays out for Baylor when you don't have Texas or Oklahoma until November Is it going to Stillwater? I mean, where on Baylor's schedule do we say, okay, this is where we find out just how good or eh, not as good this team is? Well, I think that in some ways it's a blessing, right, that you can maybe go through almost half of the season without having to really know what Baylor is. You know, the fact that you can kind of grow on your own time and the fact that Baylor is a good enough team at this point that you can expect them to maybe win five games before we have to figure out what they are. Um, But... I think that 
there's two answers to this. The first one is uh, on the road against Oklahoma State. Um, I think that that's a place that Baylor has typically struggled. I mean, they only really have the one win, I think, right? Uh, when Chris Johnson took over as third string quarterback, that's the only time they've ever won in, in Stillwater. And uh, so I think going on the road against a team that has Tylen Wallace and Spencer Sanders and Chuba Hubbard, maybe the best threesome of offensive players in the conference, uh, I think that's going to be a big, big test for Baylor. But at the same time, I mean, I do think that... You know, losing at Oklahoma State, while it would be bad and not feel good for for all the fans, I don't necessarily think that means that Baylor's not legit, for example. Yeah, I, I agree. think that you're really only going to learn what exactly Baylor is once you go through that November slate, because you get Texas, you get Oklahoma, both at home, you get TCU on the road. Uh, those are going to be critical games. And I think that if Baylor can, you don't have to win all of them. You don't have to go three and zero. You can go one and two and feel okay about it. But it's the way that it happens. And I think that at this point, I mean, Baylor last year, they beat Oklahoma State, but it was a six and six Oklahoma State team. You know, I mean, you don't really have a signature win in the Matt Rule era. And obviously, if uh, if Iowa State, you know, does end up being really good and Baylor beats them handily, that's going to be a nice win. But you are looking for an opportunity to beat one of those top-ranked teams, uh, especially since you get both of them at home in back-to-back weeks. I mean, that's what that's what really good teams do. And so I think that we're really going to learn, you know, is this a team that is a nice story, we will win eight games, we will have a nice season, or is this a team that is building towards being a conference contender? I think we'll really learn it during that November stretch. How good is Texas this year? Because that's another team that I feel like we, and we've seen them, right? I mean, play LSU really close in a really, really competitive college football game. But I think that's another team that we don't know if they're really a top 10 team or could they drop a couple more in conference and end up being like a 24th or 25th ranked team. How good do you think this Texas team is? I think that on offense, they're legit. Uh, I think that Sam Ellinger has taken all the steps that we thought that he might be able to take. I mean, I know that heading into the year, you know, there's all this talk with all the quarterbacks in the country and in the state, you know, that, you know, Ellinger's here and maybe, you know, Charlie Brewer's right there with him and Al Bowman's right there with him and Brock Purdy's right there with him. And I think that all those guys are still elite, but I think that Sam Ellinger has established himself even more than Jalen Hurts to me at this point as the the conference's best quarterback. And part of that is competition, of course, but um, and part of that is just track record. Uh, but I think that Sam Ellinger has taken all the steps that we want him to. And so at this point, I mean, their offense looks really good. When they involve him in the running game, they're so hard to stop. And the one thing, too, is that last year he'd have a little bit of tunnel vision on little Jordan Humphrey. Uh, and in a funny way, not having Colin Johnson on Saturday was great for him because he spread the ball out so much to Brennan Eagles and Devin Duvernay and Jake Smith. They just have so many options out there, and they finally have a wide receiver room that looks like it represents the state of Texas. And so uh, that offense is really good defensively. They're going to have a lot of tests the next couple of weeks because they're going to be without starting safety Caden Stearns, who could have been an All-American, in my opinion, uh, and then also starting cornerback Jalen Green. How good is their secondary going to be without some of these guys? Because B.J. Foster, their starting nickel, is also a little bit banged up, even though he's supposed to be back. Uh, This is where I think we learn a little bit because in a couple weeks, they're going to play at Oklahoma, and they're going to probably be without Stearns and Green. Now, I do think that even if their defense is just pretty good I think that this is still a legit top 15 team I mean I do think that they are legitimately that good um 
you know, and, and LSU, for example, like LSU, we know things about their defense. We know that their defense is good. They have a lot of returners on that defense. Most notably, obviously, Grant Delpit at safety. I mean, he's a big time player who's going to be a top five NFL draft pick. And Sam Ellinger kind of shredded him. So I do think that we do know some things about this LSU team. I think they are, we'll see whether they're top five good. I think they're legit top 10 good. And Texas, they were playing at home, but they gave them a lot. So uh, will Texas be a team that can truly compete with Oklahoma? I don't necessarily know at this point, but I do definitely think that they are in that next tier of college football teams in that sort of, you know, maybe seven to 15 range. We're going to have to agree to disagree on Jalen Hurts and Sam Ellinger, <laughs> man, because you said track record and I see national championships on one of those guys, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, as soon as he went out, the team was better. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> hey, there you go. Who were a couple of players on Baylor's roster that have surprised you with their play and who are a couple of guys that you think still need to play up to their potential or what we need them to be in order to succeed and maybe like you said be right there competing with Texas maybe for that second place in the championship game yeah uh so I'm going to give you two offensive and one defensive for guys who have impressed me so far. Uh, one guy who's really impressed me so far on defense is Greeland Arnold. Uh, he played really well as a cornerback, of course. You know, I mean, was arguably Baylor's best cornerback. But since moving to safety, I mean, he's been a big-time player. He's made plays all over the field. And I was a little skeptical, you know, because he doesn't necessarily have the body type that you think of when you think of safety. But he just knows that defense so well. And having a a sure tackler like him playing at that safety spot, it's made such a difference. And obviously he's helped by the fact that now they're running sort of base nickel and even dime at times. Um, but but still, he's been in the right spots. He's made the right plays. And I think that, you know, heading into the year on defense, you wanted to see some pass rush. And I think that you've seen a little bit of it. Not quite enough as you want as yet, but you've seen a little bit of it. But that safety play was a big deal last year. You know, they were making a lot of mistakes and giving up a lot of big plays. And having a guy like Graylin Arnold back there, I think, has made a big difference difference on that defense and we'll learn against Iowa State whether that's beating up on bad teams but I think that he has really been executing at a high level and I, I kind of do expect that to continue uh, on offense the two guys one guy I mentioned earlier Tristan Ebner I think that he's somebody that they need to use more I don't know why they're so so I guess not skeptical to use him but they just don't use him as much as I think they should in both the pass and run game um, you know and I understand that Jamichael Hasty's a guy who ran for a bunch of yards, but just when you look at the fit of this offense, it seems like Tristan Ebner is doing a great job of filling his holes. And the other guy is a guy who was, I heard about in camp. You know, I heard that he was having a good camp, but I wasn't sure whether I was ready to believe it or not. But RJ Sneed looks like one of Baylor's best receivers. He looks like that legit number two guy next to Denzel Mims. And Mims has had a great start to the year as well. But RJ Sneed, I mean, gosh, that toe-touching touchdown alone was such a, such a crazy play. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, Treston Ebner made SportsCenter's yeah. top 10 from that yeah. same game. And I tweeted uh, just casually, Ebner's play was great, but Sneed's catch is more yep. deserving. And Ebner replied and said, I yeah. agree 100%. <laughs> no, it, it was it was crazy. And I think that, you know, for Baylor, like after losing Jalen Hurd, you wanted to find that next guy who could step up and be there. And I, I thought coming into the year, and he hasn't played poorly, but I thought it would be Tyquan Thornton. Like that was my yeah, assumption. Too. 
And uh, it, it's for whatever reason, I mean, RJ Snead has just played at a really high level. And I think that he's somebody who Charlie Brewer is really starting to trust now. So uh, I've been impressed by them. So when it comes to, to places where I think they need to step up, um, I think that just around Clay Johnston, I, I feel like the linebackers still are kind of finding their way a little bit. Um, and that's to be expected. I mean, they're still young guys. And I think we've seen some things from some of the underclassmen for, like a, like Ashton Logan and Terrell Bernard. But, you know, we still need to see a little bit more from that other linebacking core next to Clay Johnston because just so much is on them. You know, so much is on them. Uh, and then I think the other thing, too, you know, I mentioned it, but the pass rush, I think we still need to see more. And um, James Lockhart had a really good game last week, but we need to see it day in and day out from everybody else. And, and obviously, you know, the interior, I think, has played pretty well, but it's really those ends where you need to just see a little bit more, especially with the way that this three-man front works. You need to be able to get some pressure with your guys up front. So, if they can start to do that, I think they're in a great spot. And and again, I mean, I didn't mention an offensive player. You know, maybe the maybe a little bit on the interior of the line, you want to see a little more in run blocking. But I mean, I think the offense has generally played well. And the fact that I didn't have to mention a safety back there, I think that's a big deal. So they're real close, man. They, they've they're really really close. And I think that they have the young talent in there to compete. I think they've got the depth to compete. It's really going to come down now to can you get some disruptive play from some of those linebacker and defensive end spots? And obviously, you know, can you continue this level of, of running the ball and sort of consistent offensive play? Because if they do, I mean, I, I talked to Jeff Nixon this offseason. They want to be a, you know, a team that runs a lot of play action and throws out of it. That's what they want to be. And, you know, I think that play action teams turn into zone read teams when you've got a quarterback who can run like Brewer. So, that's really what you want to see. It's all right there. And and I think the talent is there on the roster. It's really just up to them executing now. Give me a score prediction for Saturday. Okay. I I think it's going to be not an ugly game, but I think it's going to be an inconsistent game for both sides because I think that both defenses are going to be able to take away something from the other team to a certain level. So I'm going to, I think Baylor wins. And I think that the final ends up being, I'll go 31-24. I think we'd all take that. <laughs> all right, man. Hey, that's all I got for you, brother. Cool. Thanks again so much to my friend Shahan Jayaraja from Dave Campbell's Texas Football for jumping on with us this week. Outstanding insight. If you want the very best coverage of Texas college football, make sure to follow him on Twitter and follow Dave Campbell's on Twitter to keep up with him. Thanks again, Shahan. It was great. That's all we've got for you this week. Looking forward to the gold out. Hey, if you're going to be at the game, feel free to shoot me a message on Twitter. Let's hang out. Let's talk. I'd love to hit a tailgate with you. Wear gold. Let's support our Baylor Bears. And I look forward to talking to you again next week. It's always a pleasure. Thanks so much, Sikkim Bears. Please Bear With Me is brought to you by Bears Illustrated over at Baylor 247. Thanks to my man Tim Watkins over there. Thanks to Martin Thomas for producing the podcast this season. I'm your host, Scotty Swingler. All the music you've heard today was from Iron Kids. Check them out at Iron Kids Music. See you next time.